Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Remember when you were young You shone like the sun back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan with me today we have michael snydell hello we also have bill graham and a special guest with us today to talk about dr sleep it's dominic susan mayer hello hello thanks for having me back around Thank you for coming. You were here previously to talk about funny games and Pokemon Detective Pikachu. (laughs) I'm building a nice portfolio on this show. (sighs) I guess that's what, like father issues and horrific murders? Yeah, you know, I I, I like to treat film like a potpourri as often as possible. (laughs) Variety is the spice of life and... We're going to talk about a movie today that's like 20 different movies in one movie, so we're covering all kinds of ground here. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, and that movie, again, is Doctor Sleep, the new film out in theaters this weekend. The sequel to The Shining, written and directed by Mike Flanagan, based on the novel by Stephen King. And it stars Ewan McGregor, Kylie Curran, and Rebecca Ferguson, amongst many others. Before we get into that usual stuff find us on twitter at film stage show facebook the film stage show find us on itunes give us a comment or rating and of course you can email us podcast the film go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give to this podcast for as little as one dollar an episode you'd access to our super cool slack channel as well as first crack at all of the things that we raffle off movies and and memorabilia and such we are also brought to you today by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their fantastic curators bring you a brand new selection of films for you to watch and enjoy. Every day a new film is added as a new f- as an old film leaves. You have 30 days to watch each film, so that is a constantly rotating selection of 30 films for you to check out. We got some great stuff that's come up just in the last few days. First thing I want to highlight is Nocturama, which we talked about on this year's show. This French film is about a bunch of disaffected youth who stage a terrorist attack on Paris and then try to wait out the night in a high-end shopping mall. Fucking fantastic movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. (laughs) Pretty sure that was one of my top ten of that year. Same. Such a good movie. Um, There's another one I wanted to point out. It's the film of the day today. It is an exclusive. And it's called Honey Giver Among the Dogs. It has a kick-ass header photo. <laughs> I was about to say, before I even explain to you the, the synopsis of this, the header photo is a, a woman dressed in red, standing amongst a wall of tires, and she is knocked an arrow on a bow and is getting ready to pull back the drawstring. Now, the synopsis. <laughs> a detective in remote Bhutan investigates a disappearance and becomes entwined with his chief suspect, an enigmatic, seductive woman referred to as Demoness. Using her information, he falls deeper into the abyss of crime and magic before surrendering to the possibility 
of a supernatural resolution. If yeah, that, that is not enough awesome. <laughs> to entice you to see this, I just don't know what to do for you. <laughs> so check that out. It is on Mubi now. And again, you can get a free 30 day trial by going to mubi.com slash film stage. And that is that. So that's all. Uh, anything else to talk about, gentlemen, before we launch into our feature review of Dr. Sleep? I, I don't think so but i think we should mention that we might we're gonna have to differentiate between the shining novel film and dr sleeps as a novel and a film yes so i spoiler warnings are fucking stupid but i guess spoiler warning for books (laughs) for books the the books like two one book has been out for i don't know 40 years <laughs> there's a statute of limitations uh, come on <laughs> yeah um so i i'm going to read the first paragraph of my uh, review I, I mean, we'll we'll be real i'll i will be real honest and i will speak for the rest of our podcast um if you watch this movie and get mad because we spoil the book fuck off (laughs) seriously (laughs) like you can't watch a adaptation of a book and then get mad when people discuss spoilers of that book this is that seems that seems real dumb right and this is again this is also a sequel to a movie and book so like you know you should be aware yes if, anyway, if, if, if the, the, the time period has passed for you to watch or uh, read the book by now. Like, right. If you don't want you to know. be spoiled on the book slash movie, The Shining, why are you listening to this podcast? Exactly. OK, Um. so I'm going to play the trailer and then I'm going to just to help set how weird <laughs> this movie is. I'm going to read the first paragraph for my review on the film stage. Perfect. But before we do that, here is the trailer. Many ride the bus this far north. You're running away from something. <gasps> I'm running away from myself, I guess. Hi. You can hear me. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. I always called it the shining. All right, so that's the trailer for Dr. Sleep. Again, out in theaters now. We're here to talk about it. Uh, this is a film that is a sequel to The Shining. It takes place many years after the events of that movie slash book. Danny Torrance is an alcoholic, struggling with recovery, when he meets a young woman who also shines and uh, decides to try to protect her from a group of s- energy <laughs> vampires. Stevie Nicks groupies. <laughs> yeah. Here's the uh, here's the first paragraph of my review, just so we can kind of knock this cognitive dissonance out right away. Finding the right way to approach Dr. Sleep requires a bizarre amount of extra textual introspection. Here we have a film that is a sequel to The Shining, an all-time classic of the horror genre, while also being an adaptation of a book that was itself a sequel to the book upon which the original film was based. That being said, the original film made a number of departures from the source text, which were not reflected in the written sequel. So knowing what kind of context one needs to have in order to best enjoy Dr. Sleep can be difficult to parse. Stranger still, 
Once the credits begin to roll, one might not be able to tell how much knowledge of which version of The Shining would be most useful. <laughs> so that's that. Uh, we will begin, as always, with our spoiler-free section, general nutshell thoughts, before moving on to our detailed spoiler section. Dominic, we will start with you. What are your thoughts on Dr. Sleep, the movie? So I'm glad I had a few days to sit with it after watching it initially because I was feeling a lot crueler walking out of the theater immediately than I think I am now. (laughs) I think it's it's definitely messy, but the part of my brain that gets real excited when directors are given two and a half hours to make an extremely weird studio movie, that went off a lot during this in a good way sometimes. And I think – it's we'll get to this in the spoiler section more so i'm sure but it really depends on how you read it because as an adaptation of its source text it's barely comparable um as a sequel to the shining it's so radically different in tone that it's hard to match them but i think i don't know there are parts of it that are really interesting until the point at which i will argue at least it goes completely off the rails all right, Michael Snydell. Yeah, I'm I'm very much with Dom. I I was actually ready to call this um almost a great movie for the first 45 minutes. Uh I I think there it gets a little more uh lumpy and a little uh, it it bites off more than it can chew in cross-cutting between a pretty huge expanse of, of land across America. And and I think it it uh, briefly gets into some very interesting ideas about specifically the supernatural existing as a you know a, a portal of a, a portal between this life and and the next, and there existing certain energies that aren't always explainable but are there, and and I think the ways this wrestles with this like leads to some of the best stuff in this. Like Dom, though, I, I think that at a certain point, uh, it's unclear why this movie exists in the way it does. All right. Bill Graham. So I dug this movie from beginning to end. I really fell under this film's spell. Um, every time they show anything from The Shining where they try and recast some uh crucial cast members from that film uh it took me immediately out otherwise uh just about everything else in this film just fucking works for me uh yes it is long it is two and a half hours if you know me that's uh that's a big whoa right that's a big uh (laughs) pump the brakes moment um luckily i did not realize this movie was two and a half hours before i saw it um i definitely realized it about halfway through when that film was not (laughs) over and i was like where the fuck are we going how much time is left uh yeah i i noticed the two and a half hours but only because i was only expecting it to be around two hours because so far all of this director's films have played in that kind of arena he's never really gone full on deep into this kind of stuff like this film does um I guess his his TV show with Netflix kind of does that um, because it's what eight episodes and it's like an hour yeah. each something like that. So he has 
he's I, he's definitely expanded. Bill, I I sorry, I I just wanted to briefly mention. I would say this is very much if you are familiar with Flanagan, this is very much Flanagan in post Hill House mode rather mm-hmm. than pre Hill House mode. Sure. Um, I'm not sure what to make of that, but I will go with that for now. Um, (laughs) fair enough. Uh, I really dug this. It feels to me and I, I hate echoing other podcasters because that feels cheap, but it feels like a superhero origin story in a lot of ways. We even have kooky villain names and stuff like that. Um, Rose the hat, crow daddy, snake bite (laughs) Andy. Grandpa so, Flick. Flick? Was that it? Yep, Flick. Yep, Flick. Um, yeah, so we we have a lot of, like, myth-making, and we have a lot of, like, there's just so much ground to cover in this film, <laughs> and guy, I feel I like... I just have to, speaking of the names, one, one guy is Barry the Chunk. Like, he's <laughs> immortal. He has to live with that name forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on. He is not an immortal. We will touch on that, though. Um, but, uh, this film is a lot of fucking fun when it's having fun and there is, uh, I, it's not a spoiler. It's a emotional spoiler. Maybe, uh, there is a child murder in this film that goes real deep into child murder territory. Um, it's very graphic, very violent and very disturbing. Um, so you know, be prepared for this film to not pull any fucking punches. Uh, it goes full on for it. And I dug the ride. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a, yeah, I hate to say this, but I'm, I'm with Bill on this. And, um, <laughs> I, uh, I really like this movie. Is anyone who read my review at the filmstage.com can, uh, can attest? I think I gave it a B plus at the end of the day. This is great. This is once again proving that like I write the review and then I just hand over it to Jordan and say, I don't know, whatever you think this would relate to. Um, no, I, I've definitely asked Jordan. I'm like, is this a B? Is this a B minus? <laughs> yeah, this, this was definitely a B plus. I, I handed it to him and he was like, I don't know. What do you think of B plus? And I was like, hey, man, if that's what you got out of it. Because I am super yeah. terrible at putting letter grades on things. Um. This this movie, I wasn't sure what to think of this movie. I legitimately walking in thought like this is going to suck, right? Like this is going to be a real bad movie. But I I really love the way that it grounds everything in its characters. I mean, Ewan McGregor is pulling out all the sad Ewan McGregor energy that he he puts to use so well in a lot of the films that know to use him for that. And um, he he really makes you like feel bad <laughs> for poor Dan Torrance. <laughs> and um. I loved I loved the way that it it kind of like wrestles with the lineage of uh, The Shining. Rebecca Ferguson is making choices in this movie. Hell yeah, she is. <laughs> what is her accent? Please tell me. <laughs> she's she's Irish, right? But I think okay. like an Irish she's person who's a thousand who has, years old. So right, who, who her, like maybe came accent. to America in the seventeen hundreds. <laughs> You know, it's really uh, hard to tell. She also has her name is Rose the Hat and she's got this hat. The winner of best performance by a hat in a movie for the past absolutely. decade has got to go to this fucking hat. The people who made this hat for this movie deserve every kind of award and bonus that they can be given. It's a fantastic hat. It's 
Ah, like the, the the amount of wear on it, like the fabric they're using for it. It's just a great hat. Um, it's and, and I think that uh, all of the the movie really lives on the connections between its characters and making you care about these people. And one of the things that I did not expect to happen in this movie is for me to care about the connection between the villains almost as much as I did the connection between the heroes. And I think that that is kind of the magic of this movie. I will admit that I have, when I think of the shining, I think of Jack Torrance going crazy, seeing ghosts and trying to murder his family. Spoiler alert. Um, Fuck off. (laughs) and, And I know that, Danny has the shine and that that's a big thing and that like literally it's the title of the movie. But every time I see The Shining, I'm I just constantly think like what is this fucking psychic subplot? And what is it doing here? Like yeah, what a bunch of bullshit. Like what is happening like why like, out of He's having like a mild seizure trying to call Dick Holleran so he can come and save them and then Dick just gets axed immediately and it's like why are we wasting time on this? You know, I don't think that a kid has to be a psychic to realize his father is going to go crazy and try to murder everyone. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> this movie doubles down on the shining stuff real hard. And to the point where I was like, if you just told me that this was not a shining movie, you know, if it, like if it was literally like you could say this is just a brand new thing and it's about psychic people and there's a bunch of vampires trying to murder them. I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. This is fine. <laughs> I, I can dig it. This feels more like an origin than The Shining feels like an origin to this. And um, hmm. it took me a while to get over that and kind of, you know, like The Shining was Jack Torrance's movie. And I think like, you know, if if we saw a movie about my dad when he was 40 and me when I was 40 or when I become 40, going to be very different, you know? So I kind of was able to make that mental jump, but it's still it's still something that hangs over the movie a lot, especially in the end. But in general, yeah, I really, I really, really liked this movie. And there was a part of me when I first saw it that I was like, oh crap, is this top 10 of the year material? Like, is this like the way that it grapples with everything and wrestles with everything? Like, does that boldness give it that? But it does not. I don't think it will be top 10 of the year, but it's still really good. And I think anyone who's vaguely interested in it should go out and see it. It, it does seem like I, I loathe to mention box office of anything, no Christ. but it does seem like it's uh, it flubbed the opening pr- pretty hard. It seems like it's going to lose to Midway. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Midway it- scores surprise number one finish as Dr. Sleep is caught napping. Hats off to the headline writer at Box Office Mojo. <laughs> Maybe not the website itself. <laughs> yeah, I am I am terrified of trying to click on this to see more. But yeah, it looks like Midway, a movie that I consistently forget is happening. Yep. Um when I, I first this weekend. Wow. When I first saw a a like Twitter trailer for Midway. Just looking at it, I was like, oh, the History Channels has got a Midway series. <laughs> and then I, I yep. found out, like, no, it's Roland Emmerich, a, a, a man of German descent, making a movie about the American War II battle against Japan 
which is just all kinds of things about our modern world. But then I just thought to myself, I remember thinking, the British get Dunkirk from Christopher Nolan. <laughs> hey, Das Boot wasn't, it was a long time ago. And but America, das Boot was good. <laughs> America gets midway from Roland Emmerich. Once upon a time, he was good. Yeah, like what? Like, wait, first of all, why did you bring up Das Boot? Isn't Das Boot Emmerich? Wolfgang that- Peterson. Ah, damn it. <laughs> yeah, no. What was Emmerich's breakout? Independence Day. No, no, no. <laughs> the Patriot. All right. <laughs> fuck off, guys. <laughs> I was being serious. I do not know what Roland Emmerich's quote unquote breakout was. It would probably be Independence Day. I don't know. Mike seems to disagree with us. I definitely <laughs> thought Dust Boot was him, and that's Godzilla? what Godzilla and feel like an idiot. No. Oh shit. It's either Stargate or Independence Day. <laughs> or Universal yeah. Soldier. Uh Stargate definitely for me. I think, yeah, Stargate. Oh, I will, I'll give you Stargate. Good. Yeah. But I would definitely say I knew who he was after Independence Day and then Godzilla yeah. and then The Patriot and then The Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, that okay. That, never mind. Let's I'll, I'll keep his name out of my mouth. His star fucking <laughs> cratered real fast yeah. yeah yeah remember 2012 and anonymous remember anonymous Anon- you mean the the thriller about how shakespeare wasn't really shakespeare <laughs> yes remember stonewall no what about 10,000 bc oh man Bell. all right we, we, we gotta continue <laughs> yes we do um so yeah unfortunately dr sleep flubbed the box sure. office i am still confounded as to why this movie opened the week after halloween yes Yes. That just seems like a no-brainer. It's like someone in our Slack was like, I don't understand why last Christmas is opening the first week in November. Yes. And I said, I I don't understand why Dr. Sleep didn't open, I don't know, like the Wednesday of Halloween. (laughs) Sure. I still love how every person who's ever seen the last Christmas trailer has called (laughs) the twist. (laughs) Michael, last Christmas, I gave you my heart. (laughs) Oh, man. So okay. Dr. Sleep. Yeah, let's do this. W- where do we start with this thing? Fucking who knows? <laughs> it's crazy. Okay. Like, I was watching the movie and I, I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know where we're starting. We start in Florida where Rose the Hat kills a child. <laughs> yeah. With, with all of her crazy Violence. traveler buddies. And I don't mean people that travel. I mean, Irish travelers. They run around in caravans. <laughs> They all wear kooky clothing and then they murder a child. Yeah. And then we we run into Danny Torrance, who's still having trouble with the ghost of The Shining, which this is like where my mental break started happening. And I don't mean I was having like a nervous breakdown. I meant I was just like, the ghosts followed him? Like, what is (laughs) happening? And then there's this whole thing. And maybe this is something that we all got from The Shining and I just forgot. But like Dick Holleran shows up and is like, yeah, they want to eat your shine. And I was like, when did that become a thing? <laughs> yep. Tom, as our resident <laughs> Stephen King fan, I, I'm guessing this is a much bigger thing in the in the novel. Is that correct? So this is where I admit that I only got about 30, 40% of the way into Dr. Sleep, <laughs> the novel, which is not a comment on its quality one way or another. I'm just really bad at finishing books habitually. <laughs> um, even... 
the setup is more or less similar, especially most of the stuff in the early 80s immediately after the fallout of the Overlook. Mm. But then and and I'm sure we'll get to this in due course, but then it really starts to splinter off quickly. And one point I wanted to get to right off the bat is that the movie and this is the thing I stay really struck by about it days later is that this movie is so slavishly interested in reminding you of the existence of Stanley Kubrick's 1980 film, the shining as often as possible that it's in this weird spot the whole time, I would argue. And, and I'm not even saying this is a qualifier of success or failure necessarily, but it's always wrestling with when it's its own thing, which it tries to be Mm. a lot. And when it is trying to be the shining sequel that I would argue a lot of people paid for their tickets thinking they were going to see. And it creates this super weird tension where at times, as it's already been alluded to in this discussion, it's this really bracing movie about trauma and full of, again, some truly heinous child violence. Um, But it then very much fractures off every so often like you'll be moving on with a brand new story discovering brand new characters and then oh, oh here's the tub ghost from room 237 again yeah yeah which is again like it's just in the movie <laughs> the shining <laughs> which is my only shining experience is that reference movie. point Sure. And so I'm just like, I, I'm like, they're ghosts. They're just ghosts. They're in the hotel because they died there or they have memories there or it's just a shitty place. <laughs> and um, like, who knows if they're real? Like if, if like they're just a, a uh, just anything, you know, but like to see them constantly turning up. I was just like, I don't understand why this is a thing that's happening. Like, why is Tub Ghost? Probably not what she was hoping she would get remembered as. <laughs> why is she constantly in other people's tubs and she's always like people you know i don't know how you guys leave your showers it's always it's always that the curtain is half closed so she has to put her hand out with her back still against the the tub and she pulls it and i when i take a shower and i step out of it i immediately close that curtain because if not that's how you get mildew on your curtain exactly Exactly. yep (laughs) okay i found i found this out the hard way (laughs) bill had a mildewy shower curtain he was like oh you know if i close it all the way no someone someone else had to tell me that (laughs) bill yeah i think i think it was when my mom uh came by one time when i was moving out of my dorm in college and she was like she was like oh we're gonna have to throw this away that's gross and i was like how do i and she was just like you don't close it when you're done and i was like why would I close it when I'm done? <laughs> and she's just like, well, it just traps all the moisture. I was like, I wish these things came with instruction manuals. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I cannot wait to get Why? tweets and Slack messages from people who say that, like, we've saved their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing is, from my understanding, you can also wash it in in a washing machine, I think. And you can, you can yes. Yes. And that'll, you'll be good. <laughs> right. Anyway, so well, okay. but- I, I mean, what I'd like to say about this, Brian, is like, this is the beginning of my 
why is this a Shining sequel that is going to come up a lot throughout this? Because, you know, we already have, I don't know if any of you guys have watched Castle Rock. I, no. I oddly enough, despite not being, uh, have a King strong Head. feeling about King in general, I, I watched the They're first King Head. I'm, King. I'm making I'm making that up. Now. I don't. Know. You could have come up with anything better than King. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, like that is interesting to me in part because I know so much of the so many of the cultural references of King through movie adaptations, through almost cultural osmosis, honestly, with a lot of stuff. So like that was fat. That is fascinating to me as something that doesn't come from anyone uh source material and like i i couldn't help but think like w- w- tub ghost can be a thing but <laughs> why does it have to be a shining thing like like there's i, I just especially when it comes to the early parts of this film and i i reckon we're not in spoilers yet right we are not okay i when it comes to the early parts of this film like it, it is interesting it is interested in something very different than than any of the even themes of The Shining, like uh, The Shining as a film. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so, like, I, I, I mean, I guess maybe I want to just ask you guys. It seems like <laughs> me and Dom might be the only ones here who have some weird feelings about how this connects back to The Shining. I, I mean, I. Do you guys think it's fully necessary? Is it something like I, I just love to hear your overall feelings about this as it seems like it's what is dividing people so viciously in the reviews. I've what seen. do you mean? Nest, like did, did the shining need a sequel? Is that what you're asking? Because if so, the answer is fuck no. Does this movie need to exist as an incarnation of the shining for any reason other than budgetary uh, budgetary reasons? Well, it's the fucking book that. Stephen King wrote like I don't know, but it's not <laughs> okay. But we, here's the okay, thing: we read the Wikipedia. We did of the book. Oh boy, ladies Sleep. and gentlemen at home, go do yourself a favor. Read the Wikipedia for Doctor Sleep, the novel. Um, it is fucking crazy. And nine eleven is involved. Nine <laughs> eleven is involved. Measles. Uh, unknown parentage. Uh, after school special talking about how bad drinking is for you. I will just say, as a man who is starting a distillery, I am uh, triggered. <laughs> um, poof. Okay, yeah. So, like, here's the thing. Like, I, you know, Stephen King wrote a sequel, and yeah. people people liked it. I think yeah, that a I lot of the t- people liked it. That's I don't know if that's. I, I think it has very mixed reception. Well, if I, if I remember correctly, I'm not going to say people loved it, but someone someone liked it somewhere, and they said, "Yeah, let's do it." <laughs> I here's the thing. I don't think that you could make this movie as not a shining sequel because there is so much in it that is of the shining. So it, it is one of those things that for me is like kind of difficult because I think there is some shorthand that the movie can get away with in in having that be a, a baseline for it. At sure. the same time, I don't think that you need to have seen the shining to fully get this movie. You'll be awfully confused at the climax then. Yeah, you'll be super confused. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that like the all the imagery with the boxes helps. You know, that all does stuff. You you will wonder who are these people and what are they doing here? But um I you know, I, I think that it my dog just sneezed. Um Bless you. Bless you, dog. dog. So <laughs> 
Anyway, she's fine now. Uh, I think that there, there, there's a lot in this movie that I like, and I again, I I will just say like I continuously forget that Danny Torrance in The Shining has a legitimate psychic ability. <laughs> um, because it's just so weird, and it just doesn't really play in at all. Like, does he use it? in any way that is actually useful or does he just get a, sh- a cook killed? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think Kubrick just wants it for atmosphere. He just wants it for, you know, amplifying the unknown right. that exists around. I was going to say the edges, but it's not the edges. That's the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. The movie's literally called the shining, which yes. is again, weird. Cause it should be like the fucking ghosts in this place. Also, <laughs> this kid has the shining. The dad who hates his wife. (laughs) This is kind of a weird thing because, I mean, as is now a matter of extremely well-known record, Kubrick's Shining is itself a pretty liberal adaptation of its source material to the point where it caused friction between him and King for a long time. And I think part of what we're discussing, not to come back to the shower ghost again, but I'm going to do that for just a second here. Um I think what's really interesting about this as an adaptation and kind of weird at the same time is that it's not just that it's invoking the imagery of The Shining. It's that it's invoking these specific images framed the same way because to come Mm. back to the jokey question of why are they always opening the curtains so weird – Take that at face value. They want you to see that exact shot from Kubrick's Shining very yeah, sure. deliberately. And sure. I think I think it's really interesting to do that. And as was discussed a second ago, to use it as this kind of visual shorthand for people more familiar with the movie. But even in the source novel, there are these explanations of like what The Shining is. And it's a much more active part of that story in the original book, The Shining. Yeah. And so that's where this movie enters this weird space where it's a sequel to a movie that is an adaptation of a book that is a loose adaptation. And now this is a loose adaptation of another book that's more at once a (laughs) sequel to and kind of a weird revisiting of the original movie. And now I'm going cross eyed. (laughs) But well, that's the same. What's weird about king adaptations is that it often seems like the less of his more outro stuff the better they are like gerald's game yeah right (laughs) mike flanagan made gerald's game which i loved up until the last 15 (laughs) fucking minutes and then i just like ate my hat which was slavish to the book. So. Yeah, which Speaking was just insane. I was like, what is going on here? I wrote an entire essay talking about, like, what is it for a movie to ruin itself with its own ending? Um, <laughs> I rewatched the the uh, the village for that fucking piece that I wrote that ran nowhere except on my own personal site. But um, I can't even remember what I was going to say because I just remembered fucking Gerald's game. <laughs> And how fucking bad uh, that was. About how most of King's successful adaptations are usually loose adaptations. Oh, yeah, because, like, I remember when we talked about It and, um, you know, uh, spoilers for It, chapter one, because I didn't see It, chapter two. You know, I was like, oh, the kids defeated Pennywise. That was really cool. And then someone was like, yeah, in the book, he's like a crazy, like, universe spider. And they have to fuck to get out of the sewers. <laughs> 
And yes. I was like, there, why? There's a, there's a giant turtle at some point. Which, yeah. If, if you've read the Dark Tower uh, series, then you know, like, a lot of, like, a lot of this kind of stuff um, kind of ends up playing in. Um, but yeah, explaining a giant fucking turtle that the world is like created on top of would be real fucking difficult. So, and I, I have read some King short stories, but I've never read one of his novels because I do not enjoy his writing style. I just, I, I generally don't like him. So, so I'll kind of latch on to what Mike was asking. And and we asked this question ourselves earlier this year when we saw Toy Story 4 and we all mm-hmm. fucking loved it and but we all collectively were like but does this need to exist? Like yeah. and in that film I think Brian's basic uh summation was yes as long as it is still pushing the characters forward. Right. And this film definitely pushes those characters forward. The one, right, that mm-hmm. we get carried over. Um, I don't I don't consider Doc to have very much development in here, sorry. Um, nor his mother. So, you know, leave that at the door. But yeah, uh this definitely develops uh Torrance, Danny Torrance, a lot. Um, and so I feel like if we are going to get a sequel to The Shining that pays visual homage to it, but does not pay, you know, is not trying to recreate The Shining, the feel, the tone, anything like that, I feel like that's okay. Because I feel like at one point, yes, you maybe should have seen The Shining, but also just like Star Wars, just like The Godfather, just like any number of other cultural film icons, it's hard to get away from some of The Shining bleeding into your life, even if you haven't necessarily sat down and watched all three hours or whatever the fuck that movie is, right? Um, I don't think it's three so, hours. but Huh? I don't think it's three hours. Okay. Well, it's, it's real fucking long. Um, maybe that's also because it's also all taking place in one fucking hotel. It and is it's, shorter it's, than it's Dr. Sleep. Slow. Okay. Well, 226. Okay, 226. Okay. So just a tad, what, two, 226? Five, five minutes. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I think you will still understand a lot of the shining that this film is referencing, even if you haven't necessarily sat down and watched the entire film um, from beginning to end. I think so many sequences in that film are so iconic that it's now become just cultural osmosis, right? Um, So having said that, we live in an age where it was one of the biggest revolutions as far as like box office and in the horror genre recently right um it made a shit ton of money and then the second one didn't do as well um but they had already put this film into production by the time that was already happening right um so that's how they basically came to grips with like making this film and why they probably gave flanagan a a decent amount of budget because they had just like 
made so much fucking money with it chapter one, which mm-hmm. they spent like $170 million on or something like that. Maybe even like a hundred. And they were just like, Whoa, fuck. Whoa. Billion dollars. Like what, <laughs> what the fuck is this? Yeah. I, I don't think it grossed a billion, but it got, it got damn it made like a hundred million in its first weekend. I think. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And so they were just, they just had a ton of money and they quickly put this thing into production. Uh, I think in 2013, Akiva Goldsman, who it has, oh my, yes, he's he's adapted of a lot of films, yeah, uh, from books, uh, notably what is it, the Dan Brown series? I think uh, he's behind loosely, and then he also was behind the Dark Tower adaptation for a little while. Um, so he's definitely has some history with with book adaptations. And he wrote a script based on this in 2013, but they didn't green light it right away. Probably and then, for the best. Yes. Yes, Jeez. indeed. Um, and so Flanagan uh, rewrote his script. Um, so that's kind of a long way to get around to. I think this film is fine because it is an adaptation of very popular cultural iconic film that also is not trying to retread what that film does at all and really expand and kind of have fun with what wasn't very fun in the original film. Right. Akiva Goldsman must be just like a joy to work with because his writing credits do not strike me as the type of things that could continue to get someone work. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the like, Dark Tower, yeah. Rings, the Fifth Wave. If Winter's anyone remembers Tale. that, with with Will Smith, <laughs> I am Legend, the Da Vinci mm-hmm. Code. Yes, there you go, Da Vinci Code. Practical I, Magic. Bill, I, I I think on some level there there is a, an importance in talking about the shadow that this. The shadow of The Shining and the shadow of It as well. I I, I confess I hadn't thought about production-wise why this made so much sense until you brought that up. But I think that going back to Dom's thing and without even getting into spoilers, I I think it's again – it it baffles me that they – there are no new – ghosts or monsters in this well see okay so that's that's one of the weird things about this movie is that danny's like hey all these things from the overlook are like trying to eat me still and abra's just wandering around (laughs) what was that all of the everything yes every single thing is crossed off and so he has to like make little lock boxes in his head that he can snap them up in Ooh, Which, uh, should, should we? That's not a spoiler. It happens in the first ten it's, minutes. It's yeah, it's the first ten minutes. Oh, that, that is true. That is Dick true. Dick okay, okay, shows yeah. up and is like, "Here, make this box in your brain and hide a ghost in it." Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, it just because it's know, fucking crazy doesn't mean it's a spoiler. <laughs> just because it's nothing that you would ever assume is a part of this movie. But so, the, what's weird is that like. Is it just because he was there and they're like, ooh, I'm going to follow this cheeseburger out into the world? Like, why are, Why is he being harried by ghosts 
But the the true knot, which we have not spent enough time talking about by a damn sight, is out there like eating people in another way. Like there's a lot of spoilers. That's why I haven't mentioned it much. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that, again, makes no goddamn sense and is not something that you would think of from The Shining. But I, 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 again, have to say that like the reason this movie has continued in my mind to persist as being such a good movie is because Dan Torrance is such a like truly tortured man and seeing his growing uh, dynamic with Abra and Billy and seeing him like come to himself is really like quite moving to me. And Cliff Curtis is excellent. And Cliff Curtis fucking rocks in this movie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wrote about in my, in my review, I wrote something about like how frigging great it is just to see Cliff Curtis just being in this movie and just being awesome. Like, uh, Danny disappears in a drink and vagrancy only urging from the bottom of the barrel when he happens upon the friendly auspices of Billy Freeman Cliff Curtis, uh, a recovering alcoholic with a good sense of people, Billy becomes confident in Danny, and Curtis pulls off the unbelievable, ta- unenviable task of going from stranger to ride or die buddy in the space of a day with aplomb. Yeah. Because he does. He he basically meets this guy. He's like, you just got off a bus. You look like a fucking wreck. Here, I'm going to vouch for you, and you can live in this beautifully appointed uh, loft space above a, a house with a cool chalkboard. And I, I think he epitomizes the best parts of this film, like yeah. the ways that this film is able to make Billy and Dan's uh, relationship feel so lived in. And like a lot of time does ha- pass in this movie. Like it, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie in terms of how much time passes, in terms of where people travel, like various various things without even getting into specifics. And right, I well, think we jump those from scenes, like 1980 to 2011 to like yes. 2019. Yeah. And, and like I, those things I think are so good and deal with mortality like oh man there's a oh that's a spoiler <laughs> can we just start talking about let's start talking about spoilers, we can start I, talking about spoilers. Like, I just want to say like i i have dumped some shit on this movie and i don't know that i will ever be 100 cool with the the king of it all you know like i think <laughs> i'm not a fan of stephen king i have said it but i like a lot of stuff that is adapted from his work and i think I know that a lot of people, especially like with it and with this movie have said like Stephen King writes trauma and like has helped me with issues that I've had and his like movement from addict to recovered addict has, and I'm not trying to take that away from anyone. I just think the man has no control sometimes. Like I think he lets his, his, his demons get a hold of him. And so then he 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 creates these works that are like overindulgent in certain things and and make no goddamn sense when you really think about them. And so I'm always happy when a director steps in and and sandblasts some of that shit away, which like with the the true knot apparently he did that, you know, Mike Flanagan did that to great effect. But um I'm just going to I just want to put it out there because again, we've talked a lot of shit about a lot of stuff in this movie. I think this is great and I think you should go and see it because as we said, like Ewan McGregor, his his uh, his uh, work with uh, Kylie Curran and Cliff Curtis is great. And hopefully when we get into spoilers, we can talk more about fucking goddamn Rebecca Ferguson. 
And Zon McLarnan. Zon yes. McLarnan? Great. Yes, Crow Daddy. Emily. Uh, Snake by Andy. Yeah, Emily Ann Ellen. There's a lot of really good people around the corners. I, I'm about to sound a lot less positive on this movie. I'm just letting you guys know. But if if you look <sighs> at the Wikipedia page for Emily Allen Lind, it is real fucking hilarious because it's a it's a photo of her from when she was 12. <laughs> and it's real disconcerting. I was like, no, that's not her. She Wait, was on what? a great show called Revenge. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh my god yeah that is a 12 year old girl yeah <laughs> it's it's real disconcerting you're like that's not her what's what, really what weird we though bill i don't know if you noticed photo? this is that her birth date is it's noted as 2001 slash 2002 that's not uncommon for actresses and actors to not have like a known birth date i, I guess you didn't know that no, usually they don't they don't want people to know their age because oh, then man. that that affects their casting and all, all sorts of other shit. <laughs> OK, but she's all not right. like 30 and trying to play 25. She is clearly a teenager. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm, j- I'm just letting you know that's OK. But like Rebecca Ferguson, I could happy birthday on the 19th of October, 1983, 36 year old Rebecca Ferguson. Like, I get her full goddamn-ass birthday, and Emily Aylin Lind is like, I don't know, sometime after 9-11, maybe? I mean, one is maybe not an 18-year-old, and one is a grown-ass woman, so, I mean, I don't I don't understand why there's confusion here. I just feel like it's weird, and uh, she, I'm going to become an age truther. She was mm-hmm. born in 1998. Oh God. Anyway, let's uh let's move on. Let's do spoilers. Uh Dom, before we move on, did you have any other things to put in the non spoiler yeah, section? It, it did sound like Dom was trying to speak up a couple of times. Well, I just think well, and I can kind of get right into this if we're gonna segue into spoilers in a minute, but I think like most of what I liked about this movie the most was the most Stephen King stuff about it, which is why I can see where there might be a divide in where the movie eventually ends up going. But we can get to that after what I'm assuming will be some kind of segue into that section. No, really, we're just going to scream, it's spoiler time, and then we're going to spoil the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you I, if you want to go, I can scream, yeah. it's spoiler time. Please do it this time. It's spoiler time, baby. <laughs> Dom, what did you think that you wanted to spoil? I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> Thanks for bringing me in, Brian. Um, I... I think what works best for me is when in a weird way, Dr. Sleep, the movie is kind of a decent adaptation of the parts of Stephen King's original book, The Shining, that Kubrick chopped out. Because what I find so interesting about that gap in short is that the minute Jack Nicholson shows up on screen as Jack Torrance in the film The Shining, he looks like a feral animal. It's like, yeah, this guy's <laughs> going to kill his family, and away we go. <laughs> in the book, there is a lot more time spent on Jack's perspective, especially long before they get to the hotel, and there's a lot more humanity in this story of a man who knows he has demons, who knows he's done bad things, trying to reform himself and overcome those. And the first half of the movie, Dr. Sleep, I'm sorry for all the qualifiers. I don't know how to do this any other way. (laughs) But the first hour or so of Dr. Sleep feels like that cut material because this is where you get the version 
of The Shining where there's a lot of humanity in this flawed, struggling alcoholic, which is a lot of what hurt King about Kubrick's adaptation. He turns a character that in a lot of ways was an analog for King himself into, again, a rabid animal. And here you get like this much more humane portrayal, not subtle, but nothing about Stephen King is subtle at all. And most (laughs) of this movie is also not subtle at all. Um, But you get that kind of nervy humanity, which is why it's then weird when and I, I guess some of the over. So to just get right to it, this movie spends most of its final hour at the Overlook Hotel and when you're there, you get this scene and we can, there's a different point I want to make about this scene in just a second, but just for now (laughs) you get the exchange between Danny and his father, Jack, where Jack is now in the role of Grady, the bartender from the original film, trying to seduce him into relapsing in the same way. And in one sense, by the way, do you think they tried to get Jack Nicholson for that role? They did. uh, He he mentions that they actually went after him for the sequence in um, for Grady. No. Uh, So and I don't know why y'all are calling him Grady. He's definitely Lloyd. But oh, Lloyd. Why why are y'all calling him Grady? I don't know. I'm mix. I'm getting wires crossed mentally. Grady is the um the last keeper of the hotel who kills the, his family. Yeah, who gotcha. killed his twins. I'm mixing up my names. Okay. Um. <laughs> anyways, uh. So he was originally approached for. So Jack Nicholas is real fucking retired by now. Um. <laughs> if if you haven't noticed, he's been on the Lakers sideline for like 20 years. So what? Jack Did Nicholson. You say Nicholas. <laughs> uh, Nicholson. There you go. What did I say? Jack Nicholas. Oh, Nicholas. Okay. Well, the golfer. You know, I. I yeah. Uh, both of them are real fucking retired by now. Um. <laughs> um. Although I think Nicholas is still like out there swinging, swinging a putter here and there. Um. Anyways. Um. Nicholson is definitely retired, and he was approached for uh the the Stephen King or Steven Spielberg movie uh last year. That came out. Uh, what the Ready fuck was that? One? Yes, he was approached for that to appear in a sequence in that. Huh? Oh, really? Yes. Huh. Um, and he turned that down. He was like, "No, I'm, I'm real good. Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they basically Flanagan didn't want to approach him again because okay. if he turns down Steven Spielberg, like you, Mike Flanagan, probably <laughs> gonna get a real you know, quick. No. Um, so, and the other thing is they ultimately were like, we weren't trying to get Jack Nicholson to play Jack Nicholson in this film. Anyways, we were trying to get him to play Lloyd. And so he was just like, I feel like I think he, and so I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he's like, yeah, that would probably drive a lot of fans mad to see him only as a different character yeah. <laughs> in, okay. in this film. So it wouldn't make any sense anyways. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Tom, I'm sorry for interrupting. I was just, I, I, I just had that thought. And, no, and that's, I wanted all, to say it. that's all pretty key information, but no, just to wrap up what I was getting at a second ago, you know, like that entire exchange 
in and of itself, I think is really touching. And it gets kind of at this movie's bigger master thesis about like the traumas you carry with you, which it treats as the most literal metaphor possible throughout. I mean, we've already touched on trauma being shoved in boxes. Yeah, lock it up and in your brain. You get around, <laughs> and then you get around at the end of the movie where the repression is let loose in a scene that, funny we bring up Ready Player One, because it felt more like what that scene was trying to do at times. Like, Ready Player One, I actually really dig the Shining sequence a lot, whereas here, I am with it until the exact moment when the gaggle of all your favorite ghost pals from the overlook <laughs> turns and starts chasing Danny Torrance around again. And then I suddenly had a very different set of feelings. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't really dig that point either, but it, it did make sense. Like why they would turn on him, because, I mean, you know, it, it, this film and uh, no, I'm not going to say it. Um, This film turns the overlook hotel into a living breathing monster all unto itself right um it's like the monster house (laughs) yes and so that's an interesting concept but then the ghosts complicate that quite a bit and uh, i mean i guess the way that this film turns in on itself right at the end was a little confusing to me because I figured that they may be like, Hey, a, you let us free B you also fed us. So we're going to call it a, 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 a call it even <laughs> maybe it's a wash. Yeah. Like, ah, okay. Well, at least you didn't burn down our bit. Oh, you motherfucker. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I get it then, but you know, that would have been a nice little twist at the end. Um, but yeah, no, I, and also if the thing burns down, why is the ghost lady back? The tub lady? I don't understand that necessarily. So yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, here's the thing. I like, is she just always going to be there? She is in every tub ever. (laughs) In the world. <laughs> to remind you about mildew. <laughs> yes. Uh, that is why <laughs> she is all uh, she's all moldy and weird because the mildew got her. The crazy <laughs> thing, though, is that in the movie The Shining, when she's in the tub still, she's super hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> she doesn't turn into the, the weird looking, you know, decaying woman until you're sure. making out with her. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's unimportant, but it's just a thing. <laughs> You know, it's like, it, I don't, I don't understand what the, the concept is. I don't, I don't know why they would do that. So well, I think that like Dom- the movie ends and Abra is like, oh, tub ghost, I'm going to go take care of tub ghost. And I guess that like, because she was in the overlook, all the ghosts that were there are now like, well, we're just going to try to eat this girl. Um, and so she's going to take it down now in a movie that hadn't invested me in her character and her journey and what she was learning from Dan so much, I would probably have a lot more issues with the return of tub ghost. But (laughs) as it was, I was like, okay, wait, okay. The reason I am enjoying this ending is not because of the symbolic resonance with the shining. It's with the, the emotional core that we already got when Danny went and took care of tub ghost and came back and started talking to his mom again. And now uh-huh. this girl has talked to her mother 
and is now going to take care of Tub Ghost again. So like it's it's that way in which Flanagan is able to reground everything, not just in pure nostalgia stroking like Ready Player One, but in actual character that helps me to get over a lot of things like that that should bug me in this movie. But I think... Go ahead, Mike. No, go ahead, Bill. No, I'm going to go on a tangent. I'm going to say, Mike, you're going to go. Okay. So, I I mean, I guess what I want to say is I'm not sure conceptually the end... I I don't I, I don't love the end of conceptually, but it is the aesthetic fetishism that really, really took me out of it. The way like Dom already spoke about the way that way earlier that the tub ghost we just, we just take a drink every time we say tub ghost. <laughs> tub ghost. Um and uh, the tub ghost like the exact <laughs> way that it opens the curtains. It, it, but it's in the overlook the way that it goes through everything in such a mechanistic way. Like that's what really took me out of it and really made me feel like, man, this is really fucking pointless. Like it it started to really bother me how much we were going through a tour. And, and I did like it at first. Like I, I thought it was actually pretty interesting. You guys are talking about the, living breathing monster i thought the way when he was walking past each light and the idea of waking up the house i i did find that a little bit interesting i i still was like oh we're definitely going to the fucking overlook like but i mean i think again like the the way that it's symbolic of his trauma and and you know it it again though still is kind of weird because i'm like people used to go skiing at this place all the fucking time (laughs) like what is happening like, does it just like the when it gets too cold out, the overlook's like, oh, you know, reverse bear. I'm hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> like it gorges itself during the winter and then sleeps during the summer when all the people are skiing there. Like, it's just well, it's well, weird. They did turn it into some sort of monster. And he's like, I, but there was something about him saying, like, I'm going to go wake it up sure. and wander around. Like, I, I did dig that. Like, it was it was it was creepy and interesting to me. But and then I think we have McGregor the stare confrontation. Like there, we go through every beat, right? And I think McGregor does a good job of of bringing that about. And I think Rose the Hat, like her kind of bemused reaction to the blood coming out of the elevator, she's entertaining. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I think that it's interesting that like he is a a kind souled man, and he sees that and is like, "Oh fuck me, Jesus Christ, I'm back," and she comes and is like. Oh, Faith and Begora isn't this fun little Lark Quran. <laughs> I I I enjoyed that sequence quite a bit. And look, it, it I mean, Mike, you didn't you mention that you had recently rewatched The Shining? Was that true? No, no. I, I haven't no. actually. Okay, okay. So I mean, I didn't remember the the staircase showdown, so that wasn't you know, sending pings off, off of my brain, but I definitely recognize a lot of the other kind of hallmarks of, you know, even the fact that he grabs a fucking ax. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, but I really enjoyed that sequence because it took the time in a two and a half hour movie to really play that moment up because like, Look, for the audience and maybe you specifically coming into this, you were like, oh, geez, right? Because because it is playing with those imagery and, you know, iconic moments from a film that this film 
is kind of latching on to, right? Fairly or unfairly. Yes. Um, like a and, parasite, yes. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, but I feel like for that character, for Danny, for us to follow him into that place and for him to turn on the lights and him to basically tell tell Abra early in the film, don't ever go back there, and for him to even bring her to that place – Right. This is a wild shot in the dark that he's he's like, hopefully this is going to work. And for him to walk through that and to give five minutes to basically him walking those halls, reliving some of those moments along with the audience. I feel like that's that's really potent and it's powerful, powerful stuff. Um, So, yeah, I I really enjoyed that. Um but, Dom, but why? I, I, keep, I keep seeing you take it off mute, so I know you yeah, want to please. say something. <laughs> please, Dom. I'm just not trying to step on anybody's lines here. That's all. <laughs> no, no, no. But no, I, I actually agree with you there. I think, again, like I said, a lot of what I did get out of Dr. Sleep in a positive sense was that emotional heft. And if anything, I feel like the second that the Scooby gang of the Overlook takes out Rose the Hat, <laughs> That's when I started caring about the film just a little bit less because that resonance, I would argue, at least kind of took a back seat to, as Michael pointed out, let's slavishly recount every moment that you distinctly remember from The Shining down to like um, Danny riding, like running through the hallways in the exact order of the hallways he rides down to get to the two little girls, because that's a scene that's iconic in the collective memory. Mm -hmm. I like, I like the emotional stuff a lot because again, that's Stephen King at his best, like that kind of naked play to the back of the house sort of emotion. Mm -hmm. And there are times when Dr. Sleep really gets at that. I actually think the other part of the movie that really nails that is well i have mixed feelings about the scene itself but the violent death of jacob tremblay (laughs) early in the film yes that scene is brutal but it also sets up this really interesting point throughout about like i don't know i was kind of reading it as a parable for the way that hollywood or entertainment or however you want to read that chews up and spits out talent because the whole idea of you know these wrote this roving band of like ghost perverts or like whatever their whole thing is <laughs> they they feed on like the brightness of unharmed talent and then they talk about how like as soon as you turn to drugs or drink or whatever the shine is diminished in you there's something really poignant about that and mm-hmm. like King and child abuse have always been very closely tied in a lot of his work. And like this movie gets at something really interesting early with that. And I think most of my gripes with the overlook climax is that it stops being about a lot of those things in order to be a sequel to the shining specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, okay. I mean, I, I can see that, but it, to my mind, it's, it's still, so the the moments in this movie that I was actually the most scared were the two times that it seems like Dan Torrance is about to take a drink again. Mm, um, yeah. when he when he goes back to his room and he like has the bottle to his mouth after mm-hmm. Cliff was killed, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, not Cliff. Sorry. Um, sorry. You can call him Cliff, the name Billy. Yeah, yeah. After Billy. Yes. Say my name, Mike. 
And um, <laughs> we don't call you Billy. <laughs> I'm going to start, though. Bad enough that we call you Bill. I could. I'll be an AA so, sponsor. yeah, there's that. And then there's um, and then there's when he's in the Overlook talking to his dad. Sure. And, and he and, and th- I I really love that that sequence. That scene because, is so good. Henry Thomas yes. doing a real great job of stepping into the shoes of um Jack Nicholson. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, Elliot from ET. Um, he, kind of a repertory player for. I, there's actually a lot of regular Flanagan regulars in this. Yeah, he's got the Moonlight Man in this as Grandpa Flick. Yes, yes, Greenwood. Yeah, Bruce Greenwood. Uh, yeah, the, the Violet is from Hill House. Uh, isn't, isn't that his wife? His Violet? wife is in it as well. I, I th- no, as, Violet is a child. As Shelley Duvall. I, I think that's his wife, who I thought was kind of pretty bad, actually. <laughs> no, really, I thought she was fine. I liked that they, they, they styled them enough that they seemed like it, but she wasn't going full Duvall. And mm-hmm. I like that Henry Thomas like wasn't going like full Nicholson, you know. I I liked that too. Here, I I I I feel like maybe if I say the two scenes I like the most, maybe that'll start elucidating a little bit beyond just like the aesthetics. Why I think the first two acts of the film are a lot more interesting than the last act. So, so the, my two favorite scenes in the film is the first one where he's an orderly. And he is talking to the man as he's dying and the cat Mm -hmm. is there. And I thought that scene was just like wonderfully done. Um, Like just had a real nice sense of patience. Had was able to, as you're saying, Brian, like ground that supernatural, but also to, you know, suggest the possibility that, yeah, of course there is something after. And there are mysteries that you don't understand. And, even as you're a psychic, like it, it was just about a moment of just letting that guy go. Like, I, I thought that was a beautiful scene. And the other scene is where, um, it, sorry, where, uh, we haven't talked to her about her that much, but when Abra is captured and, yeah. um, Crow Daddy's just like, he has a great, it's not even a monologue, but it, it, it's just like a, a very like, resign moment where everyone around him has died except for rose mm, yeah mm-hmm. and it, it's just like it's a really he's like uh, and I, we I got thought, you anyway so what good was any of it yeah and i and i thought that those two scenes i thought really brought across the the weirdness and, and i know you, you could talk about that jacob tremblay scene is one of the most like gruesome and and I, I kind of agree with Adam that it brought across a certain theme, but I also thought that other shootout scene was so fascinating in how it was shot in, in having them die in such exaggerated ways that as Bill kind of alluded to way earlier, they're immortal, but also super mortal, which I kind of loved. Yeah. Well, like, they're not, they're not immortal. No, and, sure. and even, even Rose, the hat, takes snakebite andy to task by mentioning that when she sees grandpa flick dying true she's, and like, she's like i didn't say immortal i said eat well and live well and we have not been eating well for a while now yes <laughs> at which and point so, i feel like snakebite andy's like well 
Jesus Christ, you sold this one way. You didn't tell me we were in the middle of a famine period. <laughs> true, true. Yes. Like, um, what, it's like if I was like, I'm going to found a new country. Come with me. P.S. We did not bring food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I agree with Mike. I think that that shootout sequence really like my my the hair on my skin was raised throughout that because I was like, what the fuck is going on here? How like I was like, because the 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 sequence sets itself up where they're like, oh, yeah, this will be a good blind spot. And I was sure. like, you're going to shoot these motherfuckers. I was like, what <laughs> the fuck are you thinking? Like, I was like, hold on, Billy, are you psychic or are you not psychic? Because if you're not psychic, you need to get the fuck out of there. Cause they are going to rip you to pieces. And sure. it turns out, no, they are very much like to that point. We had not seen their mortality sure. except for, I, uh, Carl, yeah. Except for Grandpa Flick, right? Yeah. And that was it. But he was dying because we didn't really know. Like, they kind of allude to the fact that, like, maybe he hasn't eaten. But it's also like she's got six of those bottles in there. So they could yeah. barely easily, like, feed him real quick. Which, um, I think that at that point he was too far gone even for the bottles. I, yeah. I want to point out a great bit of production design on those bottles is the the uh what are they called what do you call them when like you murder someone and you take a token i guess a token oh that are like wound around them like one of them has a bunch of cub scout shit on it yeah yes yeah dark as hell like stuff like that in this movie i'm like someone put some thought into this well i i feel like those specifically are ones that are more potent and that's why she took like a token for that because not every single one of the bottles or uh canisters had them i think those ones might have been empty like oh we got to fill these back up it's like a milk carton not a carton a milk uh, jar. maybe i i could see that and i think um, it's like having having like a kid's bracelet wrapped around the top is better than writing tim on it well yeah. i i just i just took it as a sign that these are really good ones and that's yeah, why also that's why we we don't see the really good ones broken out until towards the end, specifically when she decides to bulk up her powers, right? Yeah, Which is yeah. also a really crazy fucking like really cool sequence that I wasn't really expecting until like she opens it up and I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> Which doesn't really like never really pays off in any way. I don't think about? she's now. She's weirdly strong and very murdery, <laughs> and her <laughs> hand is healed. Her hand is healed, yes. But other than that, which also brings me to a point where um, he's she got a thing him for, down the for, stairs for hands. <laughs> yes, very much so. Oh, Flanagan oh, loves to deglove yeah. people. Ugh. This is this is the second time, and when when she first gets her hand stuck in that in that drawer cabinet, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Really? Like you couldn't do a foot or something?" I was like, "You son of a bitch!" Who puts a foot in a cabinet, Bill? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> to keep it from from sliding closed or something, and then maybe it like cracks her foot. I don't know. There, there's other ways. Just that put you her whole head in it, <laughs> like a like a cartoon. Uh, no, so, um, so so here's the thing. I want to I want to talk more about Rose the Hat and the True Knot. Um, I loved them, and I found yes. that if there was like a, an overarching thing in this movie, it was like the importance of community and wanting to belong to something 
and the intoxication of feeling that. I, and, I loved I loved that they brought Snakebite Andy in because like I I thought that was a sequence where they were definitely going to kill her. Yeah. And yeah. and even to the point where they they like disappear with her and then she wakes up and uh Rose is talking to her and I was like Oh, you're playing with your food. Like this is kind of gross. <laughs> and I mean, she had played with their food earlier with the with the flower girl, but that was before they had kidnapped her, right? Right. Um but this film or this time, they definitely had like uh what is it? Uh drugged her and then like brought her back and were talking to her in such a way that I was just like, are y'all gonna kill her or not and the fact that they bring her into their little community i found really fascinating to showcase how they will sometimes take in people yeah because i mean any any community like this you have to take people in right you need some new blood yeah, you have to, but I just wasn't expecting it in the sequence that they did, and it was really cool to see Zahn uh, as Crow Daddy kind of go over why she was something special, and to sure. to have that kind of be the thing that she does, and even like the name Snake Bite Andy, I was just like, that's that's pretty clever. I like what this film is doing, and again, it goes back to childhood trauma. Right. Where, Mm -hmm. you know, she's preying on older men um, that are trying to prey on young, young women or young, I guess, at this point, girls. Right. Um, So I found she's 15. So even calling her a young woman, like in a a kind of like, oh, we're trying to elevate her way. No, she is a girl. Yeah. And so I I like all of that sequence because it, it really does. It does something that a lot of these films rarely do, which is give the bad guys a lot of like family feel. (laughs) And so like like uh, Brian alluded to earlier, when they start getting gunned down and you see Rose like screaming, you actually feel that. Right. Like even though they individually haven't been set up the family community has that kind of idea and that specifically brings it in. And so, yeah, when, when she, you know, and, and then even for her to use her powers right at the end to kill Billy or to have Billy kill himself, I found really clever and in a way that makes them dangerous, even in their like throes of death. Right. Right. And again, that's that's her, you know, she's already lost pretty much, but she wants to harm Dan. And she knows that, you know, the best way to harm someone is to destroy their community and their support. Mm Because she's been with this this true knot for like eight years at this point. Well, guys, I'm like, I'm with you completely up to here. (laughs) And then I think the movie completely loses it. Like, I think that everything that happens at the end is is an offspring of of everything that came before but how is it about the community like it's about abra and i i don't know i guess i hold on hold on wait no 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 let let michael finish i i think he was done was he i thought he was just like working himself into a leather no thanks friend (laughs) i i don't know i i think that up until that point 
it feels pretty coherent to me. Right. It generally doesn't muddle it too much. And as much as I find some of the Steam stuff a little bit goofy on a visual level, shit, I, yeah. I think it I think it works. I think that but I think that everything that then brings them to overlook and this final showdown is just so perfunctory and is just so unnecessary. And even though you can dabble with meaningful moments, I actually don't like the bar scene with Lloyd that oh. it seems everyone else here does. I it's thought not it Lloyd. was it's it's him. It's Jack Torrance. Fine. With Jack. Um I just – I don't get why this is a, is a Shining movie and I think it's a failure because it's a Shining movie. Like I think that these interesting things ultimately make it a very interesting mess but not not a full movie. Like I, I, I don't know. Like Tom, maybe, <laughs> maybe you can help me well, figure I mean, out like- what I'm trying to say but I – but what I'm saying is, like, it seems like you two like the ending. It seems like Dom and I were put off by it in a way. And I'm trying to understand because it seems like we agree about a lot of the first two acts. I think, I really Michael, that think- yeah, I think that you're getting hung up on the iconography of The Shining and that it's just it's it's ruined it for you. Hold on. Yeah, I, I really think the ending of this movie is bad. And I think it's very good up until that point. Dom, so, do you do you agree? Well, hold on, hold on. Let, let, let me jump in real quick because I want to agree with Michael on a, on a couple of points, and then I'll throw it throw it out to Dom because I also Dom hasn't been speaking very much, and I feel bad. Um, I definitely during that sequence and the sequence before, and then even like the the Abra kidnapping. I fully sat there in my theater seat and was like, is this my favorite movie of the entire year so far? And then the shining overlook stuff happens. And it felt to me like the film faltered. It felt to me like the film didn't quite have that kind of final push because I was wondering as they were headed to the overlook, I was like, is this where they stumble in the finish? Because Stephen King famously has had a lot of endings where people are like, eh, mm, no, I, I don't like what he ultimately comes, you know, came to do um, because he's very famously like Brian mentioned, like a lot of other people have mentioned. He's a great idea guy, right? Like his ideas, some of them are fucking really iconic. They're really interesting. They're really cool. They have a lot of like visual touchstones and imagery and all of this other shit. They're haunting for a reason. Like he has a reputation for a reason. And, And that's why sometimes the adaptations that go, you know, left the field sometimes are the best ones. Um, and so I felt like that was what was happening for the end of this film. I did not love it as much as maybe I mentioned at the, at the beginning, but I feel like for two hours, this film is just hitting such above its weight class, so much higher than what I expected. And I was just so pleased with it. And then the final ending happens and it's satisfying, but it's not satisfying in the way that the rest of the film was really satisfying. So, and Mike, I, I do think, you know, yeah, 
the way that this film kind of goes really crazy is when it does go to the overlook because there's a lot of shit that happens in that sequences or in that final 30 minutes that, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have to have happen. Um, maybe it should find a different location or maybe it should find a different kind of way to, you know, because it seems like the up. book did not, uh, it should be said, obviously in the shining book, the overlook hotel was blown up. Mm. Yes. Okay. So, the so what the sleep fuck? book ends an entirely different and it should be said from the wiki sounds incredibly <laughs> incredibly anticlimactic but 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 why the fuck is this <laughs> why let's, the fuck did they do the book <laughs> well let's let let's let let's let dom yeah the dom please well and 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 i'm actually glad you got back around to this point because I think there's some in terms of this remixing like that's anyone listening can probably gather at this point in the episode. I'm most interested in Dr. Sleep as like an act of remixing in a lot of ways. Hmm. And I think it does some work in terms of reclaiming the shining for King and for people who connected to the very Stephen King aspects of it sort of away from the Kubrick version in some respects. Because the Kubrick one, again, just treats Jack Torrance as, like, a manifestation of pure evil. And to end. Like, he never – all of the notes in the original novel, The Shining, about him, like, being a loving, if deeply flawed, and even sometimes abusive father, that's all gone in the Kubrick version for the most part. It's not 100% gone, but I think that Jack Nicholson – God love him. Cannot sell warm paternal figure. <laughs> like, he's talking to Lloyd and he's like, I, uh, you know, I, I reached out for him and I dislocated his arm and it was one time she will not. And like, if, if a man, if, I don't know, if Michael Fassbender was saying that you'd be like, oh, this poor guy can't catch a break. But you know, you're like, I don't know, Jack Nicholson. I think you wanted to murder your son because <laughs> have you looked in a mirror? also this music (sighs) but yeah i and i like bill's point about how like you can take and leave whether it's essential there is some resonance there like i'm not sure if all the weird interesting pieces fit together for me ultimately with the movie but i think there is a lot that's weird and interesting there i'll absolutely agree with that and i do think like in a way, and it's been interesting because just listening to you guys play out this discussion, I, I've been asking myself a lot of the same questions all week. And in a way, the whole spray gun, this sometimes feels like an entirely different movie from scene to scene, depending on where we're at in the story. <laughs> that quality itself is quintessential Stephen King, really. Mm-hmm. So there's there mm-hmm. might actually be something to be said about the fact that like – can you have a really direct, straightforward Stephen King adaptation of anything that's not Green Mile or Shawshank Redemption and not have some of that rolling eccentricity? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the fun is Stephen King is reading end to end of one of those books and seeing how weird it gets. If Dark Tower would have been a 20th as strange as the actual Dark Tower books were, it would have been a super cool movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am. Um... Instead, it was it was 
kind of adapted as a straightforward action film action kind of slash YA. Yeah. Yeah. And it's (laughs) like, that is, that is, yeah, no, these like that first book deals with heroin use. Uh, No, it's, it's actually the second book, but the second book deals with like a lot of like heroin use. It specifically has a character that is a heroin user and it's just like, Oh shit. Okay. We're, we're going down this path. This is weird. Um, and what? it turns in on itself very quickly. The first gunslinger book is eh, r- relatively straightforward, but from that point on, the books open up and really kick doors open in ways that I wasn't ex- expecting, and that the Dark Tower film is just not going to have the time to do because it's a two-hour fucking adaptation of a. <laughs> nine book series Wasn't and the you're Dark like what? Tower like 75 minutes long yeah. yes yes it's uh it's an abomination it's, it's like it's an, an anti-blockbuster it's fascinating yeah. oh boy um what was i gonna say i just i i don't know how to help you michael i um <laughs> it's I, it's okay we we don't have to convince michael to like this film right, or no, we don't. specifically just, specifically and I'll, I'll give mike a lot of credit here to check out at the point when i started doubting this film too i just like i guess i just felt like this the the danny has so much trauma stemming from the time that a passel of ghosts and his father tried to murder him and his mother <laughs> that it doesn't not make sense to go back there, especially because, and again, I don't think this was in The Shining, the movie, but it's clearly in this book and this movie, the fact that, like, the Overlook apparently wants to eat him. <laughs> so mm. it kind of makes sense to, to like, turn around and be like, all right, well, if we go to this place that's incredibly dangerous for me, it's going to be incredibly dangerous for her. And it's, it's, it's like using your own trauma against someone who may have similar issues and i think so is rose rose is like a a dark a dark side like rose is definitely the type of person that dan or abra could become if they because again this movie is so much about community and finding people to help you to become the person you want to be so like abra's hanging out making spoons stick to ceilings and talking to uncle dan and just being like, I just want to, you know, be loved and, and love people. And Snakebite Andy's getting men to go to the movie theaters so she can cut them <laughs> and steal their money. You know, rightly so. And so I think that um, I think that it is like this kind of thing where Rose kind of emulates two sides of what of what uh, Abra she- and Dan could be. And I also just need to say that, like, how can you not love Every fucking second that you get of Rose in the Overlook when she is fucking Dan, basically, by shoving her finger into his leg against Mm. his femoral artery and just the most erotically charged literal soul sucking that I've ever seen in a movie. Sure. Wow, Brad. I was sitting there and I was like, I cannot believe that a movie that must have cost a million dollars or a hundred million dollars i guess <laughs> I, I would hope it cost a million dollars i would if this movie this only movie cost a million dollars that would be amazing but like i cannot believe that a movie that cost a hundred million dollars probably at least 
like has this scene in it that is is doing this she is in a full-on erotic frenzy as she drinks his soul down and says that he tastes like whiskey and it's like yeah when she starts talking about the way he tastes i was just like oh shit like i was embarrassed to be watching this in a full (laughs) theater with other people on either side of me i was like this feels like something i should be watching in my house with the curtains closed like this is real (laughs) this is some real shit like and her performance like bill said of her watching her friends die and then this moment like there's just so much to her there and i just don't understand how you don't see that and go oh okay great number one film of the year (laughs) (laughs) i got a couple of things to note here and then when she uh, walks in and is like well hello handsome and i'm just like oh no he's going to kill abra for her because who could not give in to Rebecca Ferguson in that moment? Um, so there's a couple of things that I want to touch on. Real oh, quick. man. Um, <laughs> I've broken specifically, Michael. Specifically about <sighs> Ferguson and the way that this film plays her character and her feud with Abra. I found Which really is delightful. interesting. I found really interesting because they are feuding and they keep trying to like push each other's buttons once once Abra comes onto the scene. And Abra doesn't quite know how far she can push, what her powers even entail, like what she can do with this, right? And definitely Rose has experienced this, right? But they mention early on they usually prey on children. Right. Um, So they definitely are not used to people that have, you know, experience and have honed this ability, this power. So they have the upper hand by far. So the only reason that Abra even stands a chance is because she is so fucking powerful that like even with very little, uh, you know, talent or very little uh teaching she's able to kind of explore and push in these ways and there's a sequence early when she comes back with her hand all torn up and she's just seeking revenge right she hates this girl now she she is so mad, but also this is the whale, right? They mentioned early on they've been they've been kind of gathering steam sure. from There's all less these steam kids. In the, world. the world is but less this steamy is a as whale. it used to be. Yeah, this is a whale. And so when her lover is what like the the Wikipedia says, which I, I mean, I got like, there's definitely something there. I right? assume because, everyone in that little coven is just banging each other all the time. Well, it's like, it's like the Olympic village. Yeah, there's exactly. definitely a sequence yeah. when when they uh, introduce Stinkbite Andy and they give her a little bit of uh, the steam and then the others get some and then she sees two of them specifically like pairing off. And I was like, oh, is this what happens? Like legitimately thought that like every murder eventually turned into an orgy because again, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like, you know, sexual subtext in vampire films is not new, but this was just like, what if we just made it text? (laughs) For sure. What if it was things that are just text in this? What if it was just a crazy (laughs) aphrodisiac? 
Mm-hmm. <sighs> and so one of the things I loved was Zahn comes to Rose and specifically is like, look, we're going to go track her down, but you cannot be a part of this. And immediately she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm going to go. And he's like, look, you have been spotted. She can follow you. She doesn't know about any of us. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, holy shit to take a character that they had built up this entire time and sideline her was such a clever, clever, like use of like building the the mythology around it and basically going and for that reason, right? We've already established all these rules for that specific reason. We're going to take one of the main characters and sideline her. And I was Mm -hmm. just like, Oh fuck. What is this movie? Like I was really struck by that. Um, The other thing that I want to mention is is Abra still living in the house where her father was murdered? That seems real shitty. <laughs> what She's the fuck fine is with going it. on? She can talk to ghosts. I mean, maybe she wants yeah. to stay there. Yeah, he's I mean, fine. Maybe Remember? she does. But what? what is her mother doing? <laughs> Move. What the fuck? That, first of all, that's a really nice fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all. You don't know what the rent there is. It's really nice. Whatever rent, they probably own it. <laughs> People own houses, Bill. I happen to be one of them. I I do too. Okay. There you go. So mortgage. <laughs> yes. Anyway, what was I going to say? Um, I don't know. I got hung up let's, talking let's about how Rebecca Ferguson was just so, so crazy sexual in this movie that I was like, yeah. who would let this happen? Why not? Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. I like, I'm yeah. still, I'm, I understand because I think Jordan Rapp said something similar. Like it seemed like a studio mandate to shove everything else in. But yeah. I think that there is a shininess <laughs> hand, hi, hiding under the surface of this movie. It is something that clearly Dan Terrence has gone out of his way to take away from his life, like to, to try to make it so that it doesn't come up. And I think that it just makes sense. In a way that this movie would be like, you know, no, but like at some point he has to confront it and attempt to not just lock it away, but make use of it. And um, so I get it. I get it. And uh, and I liked so much of what was happening there. And I was still wound up in the characters that I was able to get over it. I feel like both of you are going to bring this up at the end of the year. <laughs> I don't think I will. I literally said I don't think this is going to make my top ten. Though, weirdly, the more that we've been talking about it now, the more I'm like, this movie's fucking great. <laughs> uh, I guarantee that there's going to be some stages action. One thing I liked about Rebecca Ferguson's um, out- outfit, wardrobe, is like she's got such a kind of... <sighs> I guess is gypsy now like a bad word. I'm not supposed to say gypsy. Kind of. I don't. Okay. Boho. Most of the time. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, think, we'll go with that. Right. Uh, I think as long as you're not uh, saying gypsy in like a derogatory way. Yeah. You're fine saying gypsy. I think that she looks like an Irish traveler. Okay. And she's got that kind of mystique to her and all of their clothes is, are very like interesting and kind of, you know, a little bit of a throwbacky kind of thing, but also, you know, nowadays it's one of those things where it's 
what is it? It's like a 30 year cycle where everything kind of comes back around. Right. And so now, you know, you, if you saw them, you would definitely think they were just stylish. Now you wouldn't be like, what the fuck are you wearing? But like 10, 15 years ago, you'd be like, okay, what the fuck are you wearing? Like (laughs) where do you come from? You know? Um, but I noticed, and this is a weird thing for me to notice, but whatever, it's something I noticed. Rose has a sequence towards the end of the film when she specifically tracks down Abra uh, through her dreams and is going through like this really long sequence. And she's wearing full on athleisure pants with like a, a throw over. Yes. You noticed that, too? I did. I was looking yeah. at that and I was like, oh, that's like, you know, I see women in Rock Creek Park like rocking those pants. When they're jogging. I I was just like, she's got full on like Lulu lemon on right now. She's the comfiest looking psychic energy (laughs) vampire in a hat that I've ever seen in any movie. I would not be surprised if she goes to like a a local town's like yoga studio. I mean, the way that she sits down in that pillow on top of her thing, she like crosses her legs and drops down immediately. Like (laughs) there's there's so much again, just about the craft and care that goes into this movie. And I I like I love the amount of questions that I still have that I don't want answered. Like when that lady from the store after the milk, the milk cabinet like explodes (laughs) and knocks her backwards. Um, Mm -hmm. And the lady from the store like goes to get her hat. She's like, don't touch my hat. Mm -hmm. There was a part of me that was was like, like, oh, is there like a soul in the hat? Like, is that Mm -hmm. why she doesn't Mm -hmm. want this person to touch her hat? But that's never explained. And I would be really upset if I saw like a, a a Dr. Sleep Origins Rose the Hat and they were like, oh, this is where she got her hat. <laughs> you know, that's like the type of stuff I like. And, and unfortunately, movies usually can't create something like that without giving it a backstory. Like she may just love that hat. Dom, what did you make of the hat? Is the hat in the book? I never got as far as the hat. I cannot speak to whether the hat has an origin tale, unfortunately. Did you get to, to the, the true not characters? I did. I did a little bit. And like, I think that's, it's been a couple years granted now. So like the past few days, knowing I was going to do the show, I have been trying to rack my brain. It is fleshed out though, in a way that's, I think in the movie, something that's really, really interesting is and I don't know if this was just me picking up on this and it's probably because I've been thinking constantly about once upon a time in Hollywood for the past few months but I got a lot of Manson family energy off the way that they were setting up the Rose the Hat and the rest of the travelers especially as like vultures feeding on the innocent especially with like the weird rock revival but sinister thing that all you guys were discussing a minute ago Mm. i think there's something really interesting going on there in terms of you know especially like it even in the 80s rose the hat and i was thinking about this with the beginning that opening scene with her and the death of little violet even in the 80, like by 1980 itself, Rose the Hat and that crew would already feel kind of weird and anachronistic. And there's something really interesting in how in 40 years they went from being like a weird traveling band of creeps to now they really feel like they kind of exist out of time and place. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. Like I, they, they sort of reminded me when I first saw them. I was like, oh, hey, it's all the nice people from the trailer park at the end of uh, Leave No Trace. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, Ryan, I think we need to have a longer talk. But about then they this. murder a girl and I'm like, I guess not. <laughs> oh, boy. That one woman didn't eat Thomas and Mackenzie. <laughs> So it, it, what is her name? Kim, who's the woman who always plays like Appalachian uh, rednecks, but is always so good at it. Dale, Dale Dickey, not yeah, Dale, Dale Dickey. Dickey. Yep. <laughs> so what you're saying is you wanted Dale Dickey to be part of the true knot. <laughs> yeah. They, they, like, again, that's the type of thing where like, if there were a sequel and it's like Rose, the hat somehow survived or it was like her origin story, Dale Dickey would be in it. Robert Longstreet's got Dale Dickey vibes. <laughs> Caitlin Deaver would be in that movie too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Let's okay. just name all of the Appalachian <laughs> character actors who should be in the true knot. Oh, man. The one from the Nightingale, the first scene. Timothy Oliphant. Oh, man. Okay. okay. We need so, to end. Hold on. <laughs> no, so, not until you admit, Michael, that this is a top 10 movie of the year. <laughs> no, it's like not Parasite. Oh, man. Which you also had trouble with. It's it's. It's a good movie. It's not a great movie. In it's my still top opinion. ten of the year because life is terrible. Yes, exactly. <laughs> are, are, are you going to start giving me shit because I haven't given any fives either? Is this what this is going to descend oh. into? I don't really give a shit about that. We, you and good. I, both spent the first part of this review saying how bad we were at giving grades to things. This is true. Grades are stupid. Um, I gave this four and a half stars on Letterboxd. Wow. Well, again, I don't, I'm not good at Letterboxd, and, and I gave four and a half stars to A Walk Among the Tombstones. I gave this two and a half with a heart. See, I don't understand you. <laughs> two and a half is 50%. Really That's bad. a failing grade. That ending's really bad. Ford v. Ferrari, I gave three and a half stars with a heart. All right. W- what are we doing right now? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I can understand, like, not liking the, I think, here's what I think. I think we exist in a world now where nostalgic callbacks and shit become a kind of poison. And so when you see it, you assume it's a poison again. But I think that this movie dodges the poison for all the reasons I said. The one I'm shocked that no one's brought up the fact that when he's talking to Bruce Greenwood in the hospital, that's the same fucking office that the guy is uh in inhabiting in the shining when he explains the the hotel to to torrance oh yeah i did think about that like to me i was like oh i don't know about this like that was the that was the misstep that i was like uh but then the rest of the movie happened and i was like oh okay great we're back now (laughs) like i because to me that's like you know why why is that why is that office 40 years down the road like not it's not the same office. It's just another office that looks like it. All right, I'm going to be honest with you. Ever since you said poison, I'm now thinking, why have none of the trailers done a slow version of Belle Bib DeVoe? <laughs> that girl is poison. <sighs> the trailers for this movie or any movie? I any movie. Okay. It's, it, you know what if we're gonna do slow songs then they should do bell biv devoe i need a. I need this song i need i need this movie to have a trailer with a, a slow sad version of uh man eater by hollandaise <laughs>
Tom, do you have any last thoughts? (laughs) I mean, now I'm just contemplating which movie the slow version of Belle Biv DeVoe's Poison would fit with. I've landed on Phantom Thread, but I'll chew on this further going forward. But Gone um, Girl. (laughs) But no, in general, it's been funny because even just sitting here and having this conversation with all of you for a couple hours, I'm coming away feeling a little kinder to the movie, if anything. Oh, yeah. Because I I do think there's a heart and a core there. I am with Michael. I still really don't like the final act of the movie. And that just that's a preferential thing. I think there is definitely a case to be made for it. You've both made a really good case here, but I just I think it all depends on whether you find that kind of nostalgia compelling or cloying beyond a point. And that's, I think, just kind of a taste thing after a while. But I do like again, I'm a fan of King's writing and part of being a fan of King's writing is understanding it's not subtle. It's often even kind of ham handed. I think we've gotten through this entire two hour conversation and not talked about the ghost of Danny Torrance. And how I was really trying not to openly snort like a dickhead at that in the theater. I kind of like that, though. But With again, the eyes. Oh, man. With the and what? With the one clear eye. Like the milky eye. Oh, are you, wait, no. Okay, so there's possessed Danny Torrance and then there's ghost Danny Torrance. No, I'm talking about the friendly ghost at the very end of the movie. But see, he is now the dick hollering to this girl just as dick hollering said he would be because he made a connection god damn it number three of the year right behind hidden life you haven't even seen it like, okay guys how bad does a hidden life have to be for it not to be my number one of the year let's just let's put our bias cards on the table if a terrence malick movie's coming out Oh, man. Yeah, but what about The Irishman? That could be number one. No, that could be number one. Presently, I think my number one is still Dragged Across Concrete. Oh, man. Good luck with that one, man. (laughs) I will be your problematic fave. All right, let's wrap this up. Yeah. First of all, how about this? Uh, Slow, sad version of Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe. Hustlers? Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh oh, Bill's already <laughs> checking out. <laughs> he like started walking away from the mic. <laughs> oh man. Oh, Yo, I her smell. To catch. <laughs> anyway. Okay. All right. Uh, so let's do a real quick round of does the dog die dot com game. Yeah. Bill is still not near his microphone. <laughs> Tom, have you heard of does the dog die dot com? Yes, I have heard of DoesTheDogDie.com. I think it provides a valuable public service. This game game is very self-explanatory. I will ask the question. You will attempt to guess what the community at DoesTheDogDie.com answered that question. So, um, and also keep in mind, these people earnestly believe that they are doing a public service by answering these questions. And then they are. Yeah. So, the first question is, does the dog die? No. Ain't no dog. I don't I don't recall a dog. The answer is no. And yes, there is no dog in this movie. All right. Next question. Are there ghosts? 
Many. Specifically branded ghosts from decades ago. <laughs> branded ghosts. Branded ghosts. <laughs> it's like how the dinosaurs oh, in Jurassic man. Park had the brand so that they could be like, this is an official Jurassic Park dinosaur. The JP. Yep. Yeah. The conjoined J and P. It, yes, there are ghosts. Yes, there are ghosts. Okay. This one's amazing. Are there snakes? There's snake bite. Are there snakes? Are there snakes? I'm not sure if there were snakes. <laughs> Ain't no snakes, but definitely a, a woman named Snake Bite Andy. So that may be something that is mentioned, but it's still a no. I, I, I'm just realizing uh, Rose could definitely pull off like a giant boa around her neck like that's almost definitely something they could do in this movie and i was too sexual i legitimately (laughs) believe that there was a point where they were like what if we gave her a snake (laughs) she does look like okay i think i said to someone like my aesthetic ideal is rose the hat oh my god (laughs) and with the smoky eye and the weird like braided jewelry in her hair and her crazy rings and the hat and her like comfortable looking shirts. Yeah, if she had a snake, you, if she had a pet snake. You are Irish, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's got a type, my friends. <laughs> anyway, uh, are there snakes? Ten to zero. The answer is no. However, as Michael and Bill said, the top comment: a character's name is Snake Bite Andy. Born okay. Does a kid die? <laughs> Terribly. <laughs> Yeah, multiple kids die. This is true. Eleven to zero. The answer is yes. Uh, the top, the top comment. Baseball boy dies a very horrific, realistic, and slow death. <laughs> Can be very traumatic for people who are sensitive to seeing a child being hurt. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're they, not sensitive to that, you might have problems. <laughs> I thought, I thought, like that sequence had gotten really bad. And then they decide to fill the canister. And so she just starts shoving the knife further. And I was like, what the fuck is this move? And he is covered in blood. Yeah. Like he's full on dead by that point. And she's just like, nah, let me just get like the last little bit. You got to squeeze that last little bit out of the toothpaste tube. Jesus. Oh, boy. All right. uh, Let's do two more. Uh, One, does someone abuse alcohol? Hmm. You're giving us a whole lot of. Did you say successfully? <laughs> Jesus, Mike. Oh well, yeah, I guess early on he's kind of a, a <laughs> shit heel early on. That's like his whole thing early on. Mike. No, I know, but then he gets sober, and I couldn't remember when we saw him drunk, and we definitely see him drunk. We see him drunk a lot. I does the oh, this is a question I had. Anyone can answer. Are we to believe that the woman who he stole the money from and her child die? I think, I think he, it suggested her. I think it suggested she ODs, isn't it? I'm pretty I sure think, that like he, he that first night in that room in the attic, he sees her and her child's ghost. I believe at that point, I think he might be having nightmares because remember he mentions later that when someone is about to die, he sees flies, but then they become so like on the present that mm-hmm. they basically cover their face. 
So he can't even look at them anymore, which yeah. is what happened with his mother. So yeah, that story. I don't, was really... I don't know if he's having nightmares about like what potentially did happen, or if that is full on like a vision. Because it also is, should be noted that he woke up and that they were no longer there. Yeah, right? that's true. So like <clears throat> he full on is having a dream about that. Whereas all of his other visions are not dreams. They're they're very strictly related to him being like full on awake. So, I don't know. That's that's a that's a a mystery, I would say. That's something that the film kind of leaves up to your imagination. Yeah, because I was like, holy shit, did he, did did she like die of an OD and like no one came and checked on that kid and that kid starved to death? Because that is fucked up. It's, it's also a train spotting sequel. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> S- that side quote, cool. whatever. <laughs> train spotting two or T2 train spotting is a, is a damn good movie. By the way. It is not, but that's cool. If I haven't shouted that out. That's a great movie. It has great cinematography. I'll give you that. It's a great movie. Moving on. Final <sighs> question. As always, does it not have a happy ending? <sighs> Motherfucker. I mean, the dad dies. Jack dies or Danny dies. What's I was about to say Jack been dead. Rose I don't like dies. that she stays in the house. Get a different this poor house. girl is forced to live in the house or her dad dies. Unhappy ending. <laughs> Dom, you go first. <laughs> I no, I've been sitting here chewing on this because I don't know that it's happy. The ending reminds me a lot of the Duke, actually, where it's just like, uh, you're going to shove this away and this is going to be your problem to some extent forever. I would argue that's kind of a hopeful ending in its way, but I kind of feel like that's a perspective thing, too. I think if the choices are be literally and figuratively consumed by the dark people in your life and every once in a while have to, like, put a tub demon in a box, putting a tub demon in a box is a happy ending. Have yeah. we not settled on a name for her? I think it's Tub Ghost. Okay. Because you called her Tub Demon. I'm so. sorry. Tub- she's not a demon. Is she? No, she's... Is she? <laughs> I mean, she doesn't seem like Casper. She's certainly not a friendly ghost. Who said ghosts are friendly? Casper's ghosts can be friendly. They can, but they can also be not friendly. Dick have you Holler ever seen super 13, friendly in this movie. or have you ever seen Ghost of Mars or Thirteen Ghosts or any other movie with the Ghost title in the ghost? Shell? Ghost, Go- uh, ghost ship, Ghost right, of the ghost Abyss. Yeah. What are we doing? Let's let's stop this. <laughs> ghost Dog, Legend of the Samurai. All right, all right, all right. All right. Will someone answer? Does it not have a happy ending? It it does. Wait. Exactly. Is the ending happy? It does. So is that a yes or a no, Michael? <laughs> That's a... Wait, I, I said it does, so yes. <laughs> that means no. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> exactly. This question is internally or eternally confusing. Yes. And internally as well. It hurts my head. Correct. This is a syntactical nightmare. So everyone is saying, no, this does not have... Not a happy ending, correct? <laughs> yes. The, ans- the answer is no. <laughs> Four to zero, no. It doesn't not have a happy ending. 
There's no explanation? What the fuck? No, no one wrote anything. God just, damn it. People just think it has a happy ending. Um, not much of a public service. <laughs> there is a question, does someone die by suicide? And it's 10 to 0 for yes. And someone wrote, it was a forced suicide, like under the influence of The Shining. <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's a good point. It is a good point. It's yeah. true. He takes his own life, but not because, you know, he wanted to. So is yeah. it even a suicide at that point? Or is it that just manslaughter? That was sad. Anyway, so glad, Dom, that you R. could join R. us again. <laughs> oh, definitely. I, again, you've managed to give me a lot more chew on, to chew on about Dr. Sleep than I initially thought I would coming away from this conversation, especially. So that's cool. And thank you. Hells to the, yeah. That's what we are here for. Looking forward to seeing this in your top 10 of the year. <laughs> With Detective Pikachu and... Funny, funny games. games is a special <laughs> consult. God damn it! Detective Pikachu had is so fun, and then it has that ending. Yeah, uh, do you guys remember that twist? Mm. The twist in Detective Pikachu. <laughs> God damn it! I'm really um, gonna go down with you as real suspects in the canon. Oh my god, totally. Which twist are we talking about? There's like seven twists in that movie. <laughs> Bill Nighy. Wait, Bill okay, Nighy. yeah, the Ditto reveal. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I just, my, my, my clearest recollection of Detective Pikachu was me explaining how I would have preferred if, like, he was a real noir detective and it's like you had a little Pikachu in, like, not a Ryan Reynolds voice, but Pikachu voice being like, there's petechial hemorrhaging in the hooker's eyes. That means she was strangled to death. (laughs) Uh, uh, we can dream. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. Don't forget that you can get a free 30 day trial of movies so that you can see Honey Giver Among the Dogs and Nocturama. All you have to do is go to mubi.com slash film stage. You still have a few more days with for the Dario and your Argento choices <clears throat> as well. That is correct. Um, well, That's about Which... it, I think um so what else uh you can read my full review of dr sleep at thefilmstage.com if you want a more singular coherent vision from me and um yeah that's it what are we uh talking about next week michael uh ford versus ferrari oh, good times i already saw that movie <laughs> i've already spoiled my opinion on it you already did fuck <laughs> Just going to have to go back and three and a half stars and a heart. Jesus. (laughs) Anyway, uh, that is it for today. So let us tell the fine people at home where it can be found between now and the next time we're in their ears. We'll start with our guest, Dumb. Yeah, I've actually been on vacation the last couple months, but you can find all of the work I've done most of this calendar year and further back at Consequence of Sound. I'm going to have a couple of reviews coming up this month there as well. I know I'm writing about the report and about Queen and Slim as of right now. I'm excited to see both. And uh, yeah, that's where I am at the moment. All right, Bill Graham. Uh, You can find me nervously waiting for the Disney Plus launch of The Mandalorian on Twitter at CableBFG. And you can also find me on the Slack channel trying to make threads happen. Why are you (laughs) nervous? Because it might be good and that makes me real nervous. Oh, all right. Well, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Michael Snydell. 
You can find me on Twitter at at Snydell, uh, deciding, you know, I'm questioning, should I try hats? I've never worn hats in my entire life, but you know, is, is Rose getting to you? <laughs> Rose is getting to me. And you can also, uh, I've been taking a break from movies until today when I watched Charlie's Angels. And I watched that Whoa. because I'll have a review of the new one on Tuesday. So look for that on the spool. Michael, uh, I know that you said you want to try hats. I have a better choice for you. Try snakes. <laughs> How about snake bites instead? <laughs> Good drink. I'm just not going to make that seven obvious jokes that just poked up in my oh, head. Oh, no, no. About no, how no. one would achieve the snake bites, given the movie that we just saw. Um, as for me, I may or may not have a review of The Good Liar coming up on the film stage soon. What the fuck is it, that? Doesn't matter, Bill. Um, that's one of the reasons why I may not write a review of it because demand is so, so low. Anyway, uh, you can read my review of Dr. Sleep, as I said, at filmstage.com where you can find all my other writing and every episode of this podcast. You can find my stuff at brianjrowan.com. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and, uh, the Instagram and everything else. Also at Brian J. Rowan. Uh, next week we'll be talking about the Matt Damon Christian Bale two-hander Ford v Ferrari directed by James Mangold but not Michael Mann so correct <laughs> not the Michael Mann one which is probably never gonna happen now but anyway I know it's it's sad but I'm excited to talk about the movie I think it could be uh I think it could be an interesting conversation um but yeah that is it so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time 